We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. If you thought that was cheery, wait till you hear the podcast. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. I am joined by two men who are going to be just as ebullient and happy to discuss the North London Derby as I will be the first is Clive. You can find him on Twitter at Clive P-A-F-C. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. The second is Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Stilberto, uh, surveying the wreckage. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Hello there, indeed. Let's just start off real quick, Tim. Last derby at the lane, and before we get into the misery of the football, why don't you tell us about the misery of the experience in the stands? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it was it was quite interesting. What with it being the last North London derby at, at White Hart Lane and everything, um, I don't think that you know for obvious reasons that doesn't mean a huge amount to Arsenal fans. Um, for me personally, it means that I mean I've personally witnessed Arsenal win the league at three grounds, and um, two of them don't exist anymore. 
um, which makes me feel a little bit old, to be honest. But there, there's a metaphor <laughs> there somewhere, isn't there? Like the only grounds yeah. we can win the league at have all gone, and so have our title so, aspirations. <laughs> yeah, they they've all crumbled into dust, um, quite literally. Um, so I mean, and and the fact that actually the announcement only came, I think, on Friday that you know White Hart Lane is definitely not being used next season, where Spurs have really only just. Um, because they've got a lot of building work to do um, still, and you know they had to get things in place, so it, it didn't have that huge build-up. I think for for both sets of fans, I think um, you know obviously for Spurs fans it was it was special, and the fact that they won it made it even more so, and the fact that they won it and it you know confirms that they finish above us and blah blah blah. For, from our point of view, um, the atmosphere in the away end, one thing that did kind of surprise me is in that fairly miserable last 25 minutes, there were no calls for the manager's head this time. There wasn't even an awful lot of anger um, floating about. It was, um, I, d- I don't know if it was just like a growing sense of apathy, whether it was let's not air our dirty laundry here, um, of all places, um, or whether it was just the acceptance that, you know, this is emphatically, you know, Spurs showed us that, that they're a better team and they're in much better shape at the moment, and whether that was, you know, everyone was just perhaps more gutted um, than angry. So there was that. I, I won't particularly miss going to White Hart Lane. It's, um, you know, there's a lot of violence, a lot of abuse, nothing ever gets done about it. Nobody's ever interested in it. Um, Arsenal fans take down an advertising hoarding two years ago, and we've had our allocation reduced there ever since. Meanwhile, you walk outside the away turnstile, there's random acts of violence um, absolutely constantly. Nobody's interested. Police not interested. FA not interested. Spurs not interested. Arsenal not interested. If one Sky camera went out there and it was on Sky Sports, all of those four people, all of those four bodies would be very, very interested all of a sudden. But as it happens, they're not. Um, so I won't miss the place, particularly. Um, but yeah, it, it, it was a bit odd, really. There's been there's been quite a lot of anger at away games, and there, there really wasn't at this one. I, I, I don't know. I suspect it was a mixture of apathy, acceptance, and the sense that, you know, we don't, we don't do that, you know, that Wenger out thing here of all places. Yeah. I, you know, I wonder, too, if there's a little bit of, of a psychological shift going on along with the power shift that's going on in the sense that for them, their hatred is keener when they know they're in our shadow. And for us, the pressure to beat them is felt more keenly to reinforce our dominance. And I think right now it is pretty clear which direction each side is moving in, at least for the time being. And so they have the fulfillment of just being the better team, and we have the resignation of not being the better team, if that makes any sense. Mm. Um, yeah, absolutely. I want to I say a word to Spurs fans, too, because you know we can't smile without them. They can't you know live in our shadow without us. So one thing I should say, look, Spurs fans, you, you may go through some hard times as you move to your new stadium. Building a new stadium is hard, and it requires discipline financially and a good plan but with any luck, if you ride through that, you can experience the kind of renaissance that the Emirates has brought us. So, you know, best wishes for that for you guys. Um, Clive, let's get into the football. And uh, right from the selection, you can see that this is a manager who does not have the courage of his convictions. This is a guy who played Cesc Fabregas at 16 years old in an invincible squad because he was too good to be left out. And now a guy who 
can't decide whether to keep Rob Holding in the starting 11, despite doing nothing but excelling at center back. I mean, it's been covered elsewhere. I think we have to cover it here, though. The the decision at the top of the pitch is one that, that ultimately has to be questioned. But I think the single biggest question I have for you is why he went with Gibbs uh, at wing back and Nacho at center back and left Holding out of the squad. There's loads of questions. Um, I think when we spoke after the City game, we spoke, or I, I definitely spoke a lot about how we respected your position with our formation, with our attitude, with our work rate. I mean, I read a stat that we won like 60% of the duels in the last third in the match. We ended up winning the match, and it was really a, a really great day for not just winning, but, but how we won and, and what we did during the game. But then you go to Spurs, right? and and then we suddenly we decide to select a team that actually did not respect the opposition at all, you know? and not respect what has gone before it. And um, Rob Holding is one example, and, um, and it's obviously when you see Spurs on that small pitch in White Hart Lane, they are a very athletic running team. They are quick transitions. They go. Front, uh, they go back to front early and they play for the second ball. They have a psychology when they're off the ball that switches on very, very quickly. They become very aggressive, very intense. They play off mistakes. They bang crosses in hard. They bang shots in early. They shoot through legs. Harry Kane always hits target. He doesn't finesse anything. He just hits the ball hard. He hits it on target. And they make things happen. They have a style which is very repeatable. He doesn't need a sunny day. They can do it on a sunny day. They can do it on a windy day. They can do it on a rainy day. And they can produce this stuff. It's not, it's not Brazil, but it's repeatable. It's functional. And they are a team. And so you look at Arsenal and think, okay, what are we playing against? We're playing against track athletes. So we need to be able to match them. And we then pick a team, which are ruined, which is obviously restricts us. We pick a... I think, I, I'm, personally, I felt, why wasn't Holding playing? Why wasn't Monreal back at left wing back? I personally would, would never leave Bellerin out of this game because I think he's a, he's a, he, he's a defender, respect the opposition, don't play a winger there. I think the small pitch reduces the space Oxley Chamberlain can work in, so bring him inside. It was pretty clear when and they I, saw Ox and, and Ozil as Ox's sort of nominal protection on the right side, our right side, down their left side, that they were determined to go and exploit that matchup all day long. Yeah, absolutely. And then, then you look at our record versus the top 10, and then you ask yourself, actually, you know, are we all turning into a bunch of romantics? I mean, because we all picked our teams before the game. And Ozil was in all, it was in my team before the game. I, I had a slight change at wing back, etc. But most of us picked Ozil in our team. But how many times have we seen a situation where we have too many passengers on our side and we just don't deliver? Yet we all want these players to play. I really feel we have to, you know, we we have to say to ourselves, hold on a minute here. There's something not quite right. We haven't got the right type of players. We reached our maximum ceiling against City. There's another level that, at the moment, I'm afraid, is owned by Chelsea and Spurs. And they can just bully us. They beat us. They're stronger than us. They're taller than us. They're faster than us. They're more intense. And I'm afraid we can't match them unless we score the first goal. We can't match them. And um, I'm afraid Sunday, that was all laid to bear very, very obviously to the whole nation.
Yeah, they're better drilled. Look, what they do, they are specialists in putting you under pressure and making you make the mistake, right? If you don't make mistakes, Spurs don't beat you. They beat you through pressure and the creation of errors. Uh, they, they take advantage of unforced errors, and we are a team that is notorious for making those mistakes. We, we love to make individual errors, and, and you know we were caught out by them on multiple occasions on this day. I, I think... Well, Tim, there, there are a couple things I want to get to with you. First, I'll let mm. you just have a word. I mean, I, I don't think you're Gibbs' biggest fan. Um, mm. I, I am not a believer that Gibbs is an asset in attack. I know you've said that you thought that was where mm. he was stronger of his two sides. I, I don't personally mm. see it that way. But it's still, it is a head-scratcher how a player who has been so much on the fringes, on the outside looking in, was preferred, regardless of the age of holding. I mean, Wenger has been a manager through the years who has had courage with young players, um, but at the end of the day, he's become a manager who falls back to favorites or old habits, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah I think so. And I think, um, I mean, I, th- I think with Gibbs, he's slightly better in attack than in defense, but, but probably fairly average at both. Okay, and so I you're not saying you're um, saying you're not saying he's Roberto Carlos, is what you're saying? You told. <laughs> Actually, I think he was quite overrated, but that's a complete. Okay, he's not Marcelo. Story. Is that better? <laughs> <laughs> um, but. Um, I, I think the thing is, um, with Kieran Gibbs, one of the stats I think that's really been going around is that Alexis Chamberlain and Gibbs all turned the ball over 20 times, which mm-hmm. which tells you a number of things. It tells you how good Spurs are at putting pressure on. It tells you we should have played Monreal at left wing back because he's a bit better on the ball. He's a bit more secure. He's a bit more like a midfielder in that he's technically secure. And this is an Arsenal team at the moment that actually really lacks technically secure players. And, um, you know, there's there's no Kazola in there at the moment. Wilshere, Rosicki, Arteta have all gone. And, you know, we, we haven't replaced them with other technical players. And this is why Ozil's struggling. Um, for all of Giroud's travails, which I'm sure we'll get onto, one of his strengths always used to be, you know, those lovely flicks on the edge of the area. When was the last time you even saw a ball played into him in that manner on the edge of the area. Um, I can't remember because we don't play football like that anymore because we don't have we don't have passers. We have Xhaka, who's a long-range passer, but we don't have those players that can just bounce the ball from A to B very, very quickly. You know, we've essentially, we've replaced players like Kazola, Wilshere and Rosicki with Oxlade-Chamberlain and Coquelin and Ramsey and players with whom the ball just gets bogged down a little bit more. So when we're able to give the ball to Mesut Ozil, it takes an age to get the ball to Mesut Ozil. So by the time he gets it, he's looking at 10 defenders and he can't do anything with it. And another byproduct of that is Alexis then gets encouraged to get involved in the build-up because there's nobody else doing it, which means he turns the ball over more because that's not his strength. And... um, so from that point of view, you play Monreal because at least he's some he's a competent passer of the football. Um, but Gibbs, you know, t- turning the ball over 20 times, that's just... And, you know, what your, your point about unforced errors is really well made as well. When you look at both of the goals, Tottenham basically just bully us um, into those goals. And on the first one, I think Gibbs, Gibbs just kind of wafts the leg twice. Um, without much conviction at all. And, yeah, I, I thought it was a really strange decision. I think I read somewhere it's the first time that Gibbs has started consecutive Premier League games in over two years, which tells you what the manager thinks of him. 
because yeah. um, it's been fit for almost all of that time. Um, so, you know, for him to kind of go back on that, I can only think that Holding must have some kind of knock because he wasn't in the squad at all on Wednesday. That's that's the only benefit of the doubt I'm scratching around for. But the other thing is as well is that Holding's also a decent user of the ball and basically we we need as many of those as we can get at the moment. And, you know, particularly, you know, like I said, we've lost players like Kazulu, Wilshere, Rosicki, even someone like Iwobi who... You know, I've been banging on all season saying that I think he's one of our most important players, not because he's brilliant or amazing. But I mean, I mean, he's good. He's a really good young talent. But because he's one of the few players who has that profile to play the fast kind of improvised passing football that Wenger wants. And now that we don't have any of those players, you know, the team just looks completely lost. Yeah. So, you know, someone like Holding doesn't solve that problem, but at least it gives you a little bit of hope to start to edge towards that direction. And falling back on players like Kieran Gibbs, who should have gone at least two years ago, um, is you know, it, it's 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 fear. That's what it is. It just looks like um, it looks like conservatism born out of fear. I mean, it looks that way with a lot of players. I mean, we could get in the debatable ones, you know, the Oxes, the Ramseys, the, the people that split opinion. But mm. with players like Giroud or Gibbs, it, it's impossible to get away from those conclusions. And you look at Iwobi, and again, a head-scratcher, like a guy who burst onto the scene last season and is undroppable, a first-name-on-the-team-sheet type guy for part of the season, goes through a dip in form and vanishes. How is that strategically managing a young player? Like, this, this season has to have been an absolute soul-destroying experience for Iwobi, and who knows what his path back is. Um, you know, and there's just been question marks through the way he's managed young talent lately across the board. Players like Joel Campbell, play, players like Serge Nabry, you know, players that have gone out on loan to places that are, that are absolutely the last place they should be, um, and then players who continue to get chances. It's, it's a very difficult thing to understand how he's managed the young players in the squad and holding... You know, may or may not be, depending on whether he did have a knock, the, the newest name on that list. Now, you talk about having a plan, and Clive, this is the thing that drives me absolutely fucking nuts. The first 15 minutes of this match, we pressed them and they were uncomfortable. We had a, yeah. a, a solution for them. We didn't get pinned in our own half. We didn't let them instigate their press because we didn't let them get up the pitch. They felt they looked very uncomfortable. They couldn't keep control of the ball, and that discomfort was yielding you know little half chances little bits here and there i mean i realize we lost this game like 10 million to 0.3 on xg but our best moments started in the beginning of the match when we were doing that how can the system be how is it possible explain this to my tiny little pea-brained follow baseball you american idiot person that i am like how is it possible that the that the the a plan was press for 15 minutes and then don't ever do it again. Like, what what happens? Why is it we can do that for 15 minutes? But is it is it a lack of conviction by the players? Is it a lack of of uh, instruction that the pressing was sort of an impromptu jazz musician decision by the the guys on the pitch and they just stopped? How do you have that little preparation that what you're doing for the first 15 minutes that working vanish that's working vanishes and, and doesn't reappear in the match? I, I, I haven't got an answer, but what I will say is sometimes in, in, in football, it, it's it's simpler than, than you realise. Football, is, a, is it, to me, is a game of, of one-on-ones. And against... I, I keep, I'm, I'm going to bring up City quite a lot because I felt 
we felt we could match them. We could match them technically. We could match them pace-wise. We should match them physically. I think we started off brightly. I didn't see what we manifested in the end coming in the first 25, 30 minutes. I didn't see it coming. It didn't feel like that to me. But then sometimes when you're a player, you get a feeling from your opponent to say, "He, Derek, we're in trouble. They're stronger. They're breaking quicker. And what happens is when you go through a match and you end up losing your duel, you drop in, you drop away, you get stressed, you get closer to your goal, you go conservative. Uh, and this, what Spurs did to us is what we used to do to other people. We used to intimidate them. We used to turn up at their place and say, yeah, we've come to play you today and we're going to dominate you physically we're going to dominate you technically. We dominate you physically first because that's the key fundamental of the game. You must outwork, you must outrun, you must be technical, you must move the ball quicker and it's a combination of all. And what we've done, we've, we've, we've gone away from that and Spurs have just followed our model and they dominated us and they physically got in charge of the game. So the tactical side went away because we didn't feel secure to do it. You know, we put more pressure on Alderweire, who's normally their playmaker, but Fatongan ended up being the top passer in the game. He was brilliant on the day. So they went the other side and he was able to move the ball back to front, second ball, Ali, Son, Wanyama, just sitting there, press the ball, press our players, get their heads down. That's why our dispossession stats were so high. They are a team that work hard off the ball. And so we were forced backwards. So any strategy we had, we couldn't impose it consistently over a length of time because we were not in charge of our duels. And there's lots of stats going out. There's a great article in Telegraph yesterday showing all the running stats. And Spurs ran seven kilometres more than us in the game as a collective. And they out-sprinted us 572 sprints to 561. You, you want an interesting they... footnote to that statistic? In, go on, go on. In, in most of those sprints, they were running unmarked towards our goal. So, well, I didn't yeah. know that. I yeah, didn't yeah. know that. Five, five, I didn't know 550 that. of those sprints were actually unmarked sprints towards our goal. I'm just, I'm just kidding. Just kidding about that. <laughs> so but, but you can imagine are... it being true. <laughs> yeah, but they're, cha they're changing. They're making the game something else. And so you have to respond. And I call this... <laughs> I call this I call this Jemba Jemba syndrome, right? So Tim, you remember when Man United bought Eric Jemba Jemba? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was it was in response to what Arsenal did to them. We turned up with Vieira, Edu, Parla, Overmars, and we just ran all over them. And they just couldn't believe what we'd done to them to them. And they bought Jemba Jemba. It didn't work out, but eventually they bought Park. Eventually they promoted Darren Fletcher. Eventually, they bought Ronaldo. Eventually, they bought the intensity of Rooney and Tevez. And they matched us, and they took the game away from us. Spurs have watched what we've done. We need to react to our competitors. There are two major competitors in London who are stronger than us, more physical than us, and their players are more technically rounded. And we look weak, meek, mentally fragile, defensively unstable, unless we have that perfect day. Our style of play is not repeatable, not sustainable. It's too much jazz, not enough function, not enough planning. And I'm afraid we need to we need to reset. We need to reset, renew, sell, and look at the profile of players that we have because our competitors are telling us what we don't have. There isn't the fear factor. There isn't the aura 
that we once had. We have a group of nice players that you can make your reputation against because they're going to let you play. And I'm afraid Spurs, they really highlighted our weaknesses. And I hope someone in the club has seen what we all saw on Sunday. And it's a lack of technical quality because at a minimum, you know, you could put some runners up front. And if you had some technicians in the side, you could, you know, ping, ping, move the ball quickly and then play it long to the runners and, and get behind the press. But Ramsey can't move the ball quickly. Shaka doesn't move the ball quickly, especially if he collects it on his right and they shielded him off his left and forced him to take it with his right where he's uncomfortable. And Oxlade-Chamberlain is a dribbler who does not release the ball quickly. Gibbs, you know, again, he's kind of a null set for me. They were able to be successful getting the ball off us because we don't have the, the players. We don't have a Mikel Arteta. You, you know, you go back to the period after the Invincibles and we went from pace and power to technique to technicians, right? I mean, it was... Kleb and Rosicki and Eduardo's and Robin Van Persie's and Cesc Fabregas's and players that could, that had exceptional technical quality, that could play 100 passes a match each and dominate you without having to run past you or overpower you. Now, in some cases, we, we didn't get to where we needed to because we lacked that physicality, but we had that technique. Now we kind of have a little bit of neither, um, and, and it's hard to see how that's come to pass because you look at the squad and it's hard to identify the philosophy behind how this squad has been put together when you see it taken apart by a squad that has a very clear philosophical imperative. Um, Tim, I I had something else on the list that I want to get to, but I'm going to move uh, a pet project of mine up front. Let's talk Giroud, speaking of up front. Um, You know, it's it's one of these... The, the really cool thing about the internet is for a while I kind of said I didn't think Giroud was, was good enough, and I just got dog's abuse on Twitter. You know, People just really cruelly abusing me for several seasons about that opinion, and it's been nice for them to all come and, and apologize to me for that now. Uh, no, I, I'm just kidding. Of course, of course that hasn't happened. Um, but look, I, I mean, there's no joy in this, but this to me is the classic example of Arsene Wenger just lacking the, the willingness to to find better solutions. How can you play Giroud in this game under these circumstances mm-hmm. with past evidence of what he's capable of delivering in games like this and, and believe that you're going to get a better response? Talk me through how he was the right choice for this game or how it could even be perceived that he was the right choice for this game. I mean, I guess, what is it? You, you play the long ball, he wins that ball and then plays the second ball through to the runners? Is, is that... I mean the the crude answer to what what we thought he yeah. would contribute. I I one hundred percent don't get it. I um let me read you something I put on a on a another WhatsApp group I'm in about Arsenal uh, eleven o'clock on the you morning. You cheating game. bastard! <laughs> so right, and I'm I'm not a football genius, okay, um, by any stretch of the imagination. So. Chelsea got two goals out of Spurs by forcing their centre backs into last ditch tackles going towards their own goal. If we start Giroud, we will struggle to hurt them. Spurs midfield is formidable and tough to get around, but if you get their centre-backs running back towards their own goal, it's one of the only instances in which they don't look comfortable. If we start Giroud, he'll end up competing for a series of pointless headers with Tottenham's midfielders in an area where we can't hurt them and where they're at their strongest. And it's just like, you know, maybe it's just confirmation bias. Sounds about right. <laughs> but that, that's exactly what happened, isn't it? He just ended up, and I don't think it's particularly his fault. That's that's what he is. That's what he does, you know. Um, 
and ultimately he didn't have an awful lot of service to do much more. But I mean, if you're looking at bypassing the press, then to me, uh, and you're looking at going a bit direct because you're admitting that basically your team is technically very average and not capable of coping with Tottenham's press, then to me a much better option is to hit the channels um, and that means starting either Welbeck or if he's not fit enough, Alexis up front and you work those channels instead. Lumping the ball up to Giroud in the centre circle, I mean what's that going to do? Even when he wins the headers, like so what? It just goes. It just gets gobbled up by Wanyama and Eric Dyer, and you know this. This is a game as well where Spurs didn't have either of their first choice wing backs starting, and they didn't have Moussa Dembele. So this was under strength for them in the middle of the pitch, and yet still comfortably stronger. And really, we need, if, you know, looking to bypass their midfield in the first place is an admission of inferiority in a way. And there's nothing really wrong with that. Plenty of teams. It's fine to be pragmatic if you have a solution. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Plenty of teams get very far by admitting what they can't do and focusing on what they can do. And so it's it's not, you know, it is a little bit of a weakness to go, right, we're just going to go long because we can't cope with it any other way. But if that's what you've got to do, that's what you've got to do. But get get the centre-backs working, get them running back towards their own goal. There was a, you know, it was far too late in the game. It was about the 84th minute, but there was a point where the ball went into the channel and Welbeck went for it and Lloris had to come out, you know, 25 yards from his goal to head the ball out for a throw, in which he did. But I kind of stood there thinking, imagine if we'd have had that for the first hour of the game, you know, because we, we might have got nine of those, you know, Lloris might have come out and got nine of those, Patongan and Alderweireld might have got rid of two or three, but we only needed to get through once. And we were far more likely, in my opinion, to do it that way yes. than by lumping the ball to Giroud in the centre circle, where, you know, to be fair to the bloke, what do you want him to do with the ball there? I mean, yeah, he'll win the header or he holds it up. And, and then what? And then what's, what's the next thing? Then he's in midfield where Tottenham are at their strongest and where they force you into errors and where they forced all our other players into errors. It was just... I just... I didn't remotely understand um, why he thought, why why he went with that decision. The only thing I can think of, maybe there is a logic that I just can't see, and I'm perfectly there, willing there to is, accept. <laughs> there is a lot, Tim. I think, honestly, mate, I, I, if you just watch the Chelsea semi-final, what Chelsea did versus Tottenham was so smart. They, they Tottenham put a, a lot of store on running and, and physicality. And what Chelsea did was add two fresh runners into their front three and ran them backwards. And then they brought on their two superstars for the last third of the game and ran them backwards again. And you're absolutely right about the centre-halves. When they're running backwards, they're on the stretch, they look very, very average. But you have to challenge them down the sides. You have When a team works so hard on their physicality and running and their intensity, if you bring that to the party, their confidence gets tested. But what we did is we brought we brought standstill centre forwards and slow running midfielders, and that just encouraged them. I mean, Son, I never, he he was he was tremendous in the home game. He he loves playing against us because he knows he can outrun us. He looks good. I don't even he think it's good. the outrun us. I I, I got to tell you, I mean, the problem you see with Oxlade Chamberlain is a typical non-defender playing in a defensive position, which is he overcommits. Yeah. He overcommitted so many times, and Son figured yeah. out if I just chop the ball back inside or you know, fake a pass or fake a shot, 
Ox is going to hang a leg. He's going to he's going to dive in. He's going to overrun, and I'm going to have I'm going to have a free angle on it. And he's not going to have Ozil tracking back to help. Um, you, yep. th- they had a plan. It's really not that complex. But let me ask you this. I mean. It's I'm look I'm not a tactical fucking genius so I can't necessarily articulate the difference between the way Liverpool press and the way Spurs press but there's got to be an equivalency there they both press they both have mediocre defensive backlines who can be run at I would say Spurs have the better backline but if you get them running at their goal they're both pretty tough I mean pr- pretty rough and we played Giroud against Liverpool and saw how that went so I mean that should have at least been a hint that like it it's not workable against this kind of system um and I, it's just really hard to understand, Clive. The this game could have been any number, you know, five, six, seven, eight, you name it. And check kept us in it. I'll give you a fun stat: in the last twenty games, only Sunderland have allowed more shots on target than Arsenal. Um, and and that doesn't include two Bayern legs that you probably equal that same total in and of themselves. We watch opposing teams have free runs on our goal or, or numerical advantage runs towards our goal more than I see against any other team. How is it possible? What is it about this team that we concede so many counter-attacking opportunities with so few players in the appropriate position to to stop the, the attack? I don't want to sound like Jamie Redlamp, right? But I'm afraid he's absolutely right. We've got too many passengers. We've got too many good time players. We've got too many players that want to go forward, don't want to run backwards. We've got too many players that can't run backwards. We are not very fast in retreat. Or just mobile and rangey. I mean, neither Ram- Ramsey has a little bit of an engine in range, not a ton. Shaka has yeah, no he- range. Ramsey's quite metronomic. Shaka's quite metronomic. But, you know, it's not just about speed. It's about change of pace. It's about your ability to to win races to the point of the ball, to dominate your man. You know, and uh, people are telling me that Ramsey played well. Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. When your man, Victor Wanyama's man of the match, then how well did you play? You know, and that's the truth of it. You have to And also, your... it's Victor fucking Wanyama. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's, it's, it's not Busquets or Pirlo. When you when you, there's a mentality when you go into the pitch as a centre midfielder, and the mentality is okay. I must own this area. I must dominate for my team. I must move the ball for my team, and I must make sure that the man I'm playing against does not get the chance to dominate the game. And what we have a we have a situation. And someone said this to me on Twitter. And I, I don't. He said to me, "What happens with with Ramsey is." I'm sorry, he plays for the name on the back of his shirt, not for the badge on the front. And it really dawned on me, he's a very individualistic player, and he's not the only one. We have a number of players that are very individualistic, that want to do things for themselves, but the team unit, there is no plan that knits us all together. So we're not maximising some of our parts. And of course, when things go wrong, we look even more like a team of individuals. We can see goals in clumps. We haven't got the ability to 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 cover the green grass. Now, I, I, I as I said to you before, I'm a big fan of three in midfield because I, I recognise that vulnerability. But the three at the back has given us some level of comfort. But then we have then we pick the wrong type of profile of players in centre midfield. And I'm sorry, we don't have the right profile of player at our club. We don't have the Kante type to really protect especially when Shaka's your £35 million investment. And I've said it before, but it's obvious. We don't have the intensity. 
in sprints. We don't have... If you look at someone like Ericsson, who's a player that was weak and meek when he arrived, he's improved physically, and now he's more intense than our so-called playmakers. He's more intense than Mesut Ozil. It's the truth. And Mesut Ozil wants £250,000 a week. Why? Tell me why. Tell me what has he done to deserve that. And it's all about productivity. It doesn't matter what your name is, about what you do. It's about what you do. And I'm afraid our players are in a comfort zone and they are not producing at the highest level. Our ceiling was City. That's where we are. And we, you could say we are touch fortunate on the day, but we worked very hard. There's another level to go to, and someone has got to decide, what are we going to do to get there? Are we going to get there? And if we are, we need to change how we recruit, buy, and our style of football well, needs and, to be far more flexible. deploy the resources we have, Clive, because, I mean, look, there's nothing wrong with having specialist players, right? A player that you say they can only do this one thing, but that's all we ask them to do in this side, right? I mean, that that's okay. You can build teams around a few superstar players and then specialists. But who are the specialists in our team? Oxley Chamberlain has played four positions this season. Ozil's played, you know, three or four different positions in two or three different uh, uh, setups. Uh, you look at Aaron Ramsey, who has no position at Arsenal, none whatsoever. Alexis Sanchez, whose best position was center forward and just has not been given the option to play it again since. And you look at all these players who get moved around the pitch, and they all kind of have some versatility because they have... A, an interesting array of skill sets, but like none of them are playing where they should. Granite Chaka is a tremendously talented player who could be very, very good for a team if deployed in yeah. a specific way. He's not a box-to-box -box midfielder. He's not a player who should be 20 yards from goal. He can't run back towards his goal. He can't play with the game coming in behind him and with space behind him. He needs the game in front of him. He needs to be able to see what's going on in front of him. He doesn't. He, he is not good when he has to be aware of large seg swaths of pitch behind him that he has to be responsible for protecting. And none of these players are being put in a position to excel because the system isn't set up to give them specific roles. It is jazz. It is set up for them to just go out and play some football. Um, and all the talent in the world won't get you there. I think one of the things that's changed for Arsene Wenger is that tactics have become more of an emphasis in the Premier League. Preparation, video preparation, systems, tactics, pressing, all of these things that we're seeing in the game now, especially as, as European managers have come in and brought it to the Premier League, much like Arsene brought lifestyle changes to the Premier League, require a greater degree of detail in your preparation. And, I mean, when Arsene panics, he just falls back to the things that feel safe and comfortable to him, and they're not working anymore. Um... This was a tactical breakdown. This was a, a individual breakdown. Tim, I think, obviously, this could have been any number. Um, the goals we did concede came from terrible mistakes. But I, I, I want to get your take on this. I mean, how, how can it possibly be so easy for so many players to be running in on goal uncovered? I mean, Ali should have had a goal. Erickson should have had a goal early. Why do we find ourselves so often running backwards towards our own goal with having to defend in crisis situations. Why Why are there so many crisis defensive situations at Arsenal, regardless of who we're playing against? I think there's a couple of reasons. We, we've always been a little bit like that because of our quote-unquote open attacking style. Uh, attacking philosophy, yeah. That that was on display, yeah. on, on display in this game with our, you know, yeah. no chances created. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I think, you know, obviously that's something we've really, really lost now. We've completely lost... So Arsenal always had like you know defensive 
frailty. Can, can I just interrupt just in real quick? This will drive the listeners crazy, but I just because I, I wanted to say that, like, w- do you think it's fair to say that, like, what used to be a, quote, attacking philosophy, now what passes for our attacking philosophy is just that we put 10 guys in the attacking half? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, we, yeah. we, we, we have now mistaken that. just having a lot of guys in the opposition half for being an attacking philosophy. Yeah, yeah, and I think that goes back to what I what I said earlier about um, you know some of the players we've we you know the Wenger types that we've lost um, and we haven't really replaced like for like and I I wondered a little bit recently and and certainly during this conversation I don't know this is complete supposition on my part and let's face it when you're losing you look for tons of reasons why you're losing and when you're winning you just go oh yeah we're winning. And you don't you don't really go much deeper than that. But I do wonder with um, some of the recruitment of players of late, whether it's got you know whether with the stats DNA stuff, it's we've removed a little bit too much of the human element of it. And you know because there are some intangible kind of qualities that a player in a good Arsene Wenger team has that are probably judgeable, you know that are judged with the eye. Obviously, you use data to, and analytics to back that up, but I do I do wonder sometimes whether you know the eye has gone. Um, and Wenger said something quite interesting last year about the stats DNA thing. He said that he was interested in Antoine Griezmann when he was at Real Sociedad, um, but he kind of said, and maybe there's a reason he tells this story as well. Maybe it's throwaway. Maybe it's you know one of those. Uh, my eyes great and uh, and everything, but. He said that the stats guys told him um, not to pursue Griezmann, and uh, I, you know, and and, <laughs> and, and and listen, like Griezmann is 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 any team's type of player, but you know that to me that looks like you know the sort of player that Wenger was uncovering um, some time ago that would really fit into an Arsenal team, and it, it does make me wonder. You know, Clive talks a lot about the profile of player we have and. You know, we have a lot of specialists in that midfield, but you know they're not all rounders. So when you stick a pairing together, there's there's obvious flaws because they're both you know both midfielders will be really good at one thing. Like Jack is really good at long range passing, and Rams is really good at bursting into the box. But there's an awful lot more to being a central midfielder, and where they're both really really good at one thing, but they don't that doesn't cover a broad enough kind of palette. Um, of the things you need, so I, I kind of think to answer your, to go back to your actual question about us being so open defensively, I think it's a mixture of we've always been a bit like that. Um, now the strategy is, you know, it's just a, it's it's like a salad um, at the moment that's not really been tossed. It's just all over the place. And also, I think you know, wasn't the expecting are... the pod to go there, frankly, but okay, <laughs> toss a salad, <laughs> unusual. I don't, and also the players have just lost a little bit of belief as well, which, you know, takes that half a yard or that burst out of your kind of run backwards. And, you know, I, I don't think Arsenal have ever taken the off the ball side of the game seriously enough. And That's a great, you know, that's a great point. Yeah. My, my, my friend and I during this game, you know, so we were sat in the upper tier in the away section, which at White Hart Lane actually gives you a really, really good view. It's actually quite high up. And, um, and it's it's at quite a steep angle, so you actually get a pretty decent panorama of the game up there. And the one thing we kept going on and on and on about, and this happened with the first, well, the first and second goal, 
every time the ball went dead, every time there was a throw-in or a free kick, all the Arsenal players completely switched off for a couple of seconds, turned their backs. Um, when they were returning the ball to Spurs, just like lobbing it at the feet of the person who's taking the throw-in or the free kick, then turning their backs and switching off for two seconds. Every time we got a throw or a free kick, Spurs were they were throwing the ball away, um, not in an obvious way to attract the referee's attention, but you know, just like every other team does, just roll the ball a few yards backwards, give yourself a chance to get set and get ready to go again. Whereas Arsenal went cold every time the ball went out of play, and uh, and it really showed on if you watch the first goal again, it comes from a long throw um, where the ball goes out, and three Arsenal players just completely turn their backs. Um, and then I think Gabriel starts talking to the bench or some. No, it wasn't Gabriel. I think maybe it was Koscielny. Some, one of the three centre-halves. You're not going to get any good information from them. <laughs> There's <laughs> nothing start, coming from them that's going to help you. <laughs> like, starts talking to the bench. And to, in the meantime, Tottenham get on with it and take this throw in. And all of a sudden, then Gabriel's a little bit out of position. Our three midfielders have just got their backs turned and don't realise it's happened until the ball's already in our area. And then you look at you know you look at that second goal again in the kickoff, Giroud misplaces the pass to Ramsey from the kickoff. <laughs> like if you watch it again, right, he puts it about a yard to Ramsey's left, so he makes him struggle to receive the ball on his left foot, and like he doesn't even look at Ramsey when he passes in the ball. So straight away he's put his teammate in trouble. And then, you know, the ball eventually, Ramsey gets it back under control, gives it to Koscielny. And then Koscielny gives it to Chamberlain in where he's completely penned in. Like, there is nothing that Chamberlain can do with that ball because he's got three guys on him. So then Chamberlain proceeds to try and dribble past them all, which was his only option. It was Koscielny. It was a lazy pass. It wasn't thought out. It puts Chamberlain in trouble. He then has to try and beat three players, which he nearly does, but can't quite do. And then we're back on the back foot again, and it's just um, it, it's it's a little bit a lack of plan, a little bit a lack of belief, and quite a lot of it, yeah, just the wrong kind of profile of player for the the kind of game that we want to play. And Wenger hasn't adjusted to that profile. He hasn't gone right. Okay, I've got Ramsey, Coquelin, Chamberlain on the pitch. I've got to switch up the way I do things. I've got to base it a bit more on perhaps. I don't know, energy or stamina or physique or something, but he, he's been trying to play the same football with completely different players. And yeah. you can see now for the last couple of months, he's just been scrabbling around trying to do something with them, and, and he can't. And there's there, there's no escapability in midfield. I mean, I, I think one of the things that that drives me nuts watching a Shaka-Ramsey partnership is just like, neither of them move it quickly enough and neither of them are fleet of foot enough to get around pressure. So, like, it is an absolute green light to any team that wants to contest midfield because what's the danger? They give it to the center backs. You know, they, they, they give it backwards. They're, they're not going to play the, the quick little one-twos around you, usually. They can't run through you. Then they, they can't, can't run, run past you. you. So, so they're not going anywhere. So, you know, it gives you a complete carte blanche to just press the midfield. Um, and then... There's there's no one for them to play the ball into. I think, you know, one thing that's underrated about Ozil is his escapability. Ozil has a trick. Ozil yeah. can get past you. Um, Alexis can, but he gives the ball away a lot. I, I mean, I, I still cannot fathom why Alexis is not playing center forward for us. And I think it goes back to the point I made earlier that 
this is a manager who ultimately, no matter, he, he's like a rubber band. He can stretch himself from his main ideas for a little while, but eventually he snaps back. Um, Alexis was never his center forward. And, and that's if you just, look at, go ahead. Sorry, if you look at Giroud's average position, actually it gives um, Ozil and Alexis were higher than him in the game. Well, if, you look, if you're looking at a pass map, yeah, because the only time Giroud yeah. could get involved was from long balls, right? I mean, yeah. th there was no way so to play the ball into him from, from midfield. So we may as well have had Alexis up front. At least we're going to get that ability to escape from from Tottenham's pressure, and we, and we go from there. And it, it, it's, it's, he lost clarity of selection. He lost clarity of selection, and he picked the wrong team for the team we were playing against. And as much <laughs> as he respected City, he did not respect Spurs and what their strengths well, are. Clive, if if he got it wrong from the start, he just doubled that up with a horrendous fucking substitution. So let's get into that. What was the Danny Welbeck for Shaka? I mean, what? How on earth well, was that going to fix what was broken? Well, so I mean, I'll, it's bank holiday weekend in in, in England, right? So it was, a, it was a big drinking day Sunday. Man, do those bankers ever was, work? <laughs> I was very. I was. I was wondering, did I miss something? Did the guy lose his leg? Did something happen? Did I miss something? Because there was one. He's the one player that keeps the structure. He did get hurt. Once you... real, real quick, he did get hurt. He had an ankle knock and he played through it. Mm. And so I guess maybe he he was injured because I read an interesting thing. I think it was Dean on Twitter made the comment that right after their second goal, I guess the the penalty was given away or something. He went nuts on Colin Lewin. Um, Arsene Wenger did. And yeah, I wonder I if maybe Shaka didn't track back to cover or help because he was hurting, and Arson went nuts on Lewin, basically saying like, "Why did you let me leave Shaka on?" I mean, that that is the only thing I can understand. But like, ultimately, Welbeck for Shaka, at least from a tactical standpoint, totally indefensible. Didn't wasn't the change we needed. It wasn't the change, and we just as soon as you as soon as you see that change, you know what's going to happen. You know it's going to be Lucy Goosey Arsenal running around trying to make something happen with no structure, no shape. And that's just not professional and adult, in my opinion. You've got to keep your structural reference points in the team. And the team lacks reference points. It lacks that that big individual at centre-half. It lacks that big individual at centre-mid. And it lacks that big individual at centre-forward. Those reference points you can always go to they can always refer to. And he's most successful teams. We can all name the spine. We can all name it. And we are spineless. And then when you take off the one person that gives you a bit of spine, given the fact that Koscielny looked 50% fit, it's quite interesting how Spurs did not play Dembele, but we felt duty-bound to play Koscielny, which tells us how, how we feel about the rest of our players. And he looked meek. He's looking at his boots the whole game. We, we then took off another reference point. And so, as I said before, we all know where his weaknesses are. And it, it, it just limited us. And it just it, it, it just wasn't it just wasn't our day. But one thing I will say, I'll tell you a little story about specialists. I mean, I'll just, I, I've actually been fortunate enough to go and watch Arsenal train once in my life. And um, I, I went under, as a guest of O2 and I went and I met Arsene Wenger and I spoke to him and I asked him a question about how he recruits players. And this is what he said. He said to me, that basically what I do is I look for, most players have got a similar amount of talent, but I look for a player that has one exceptional talent, whether that be passing, whether that be speed, whether that be control, whether that be um, you know, spatial awareness. And I thought, that's really interesting. I hadn't looked at player development like that. 
But then you look at the squad today, and I think we have a number of people that can do one thing very, very well. And the game has become a much more of a rounded game. You look at someone like Theo Walcott, a classic example of that. If the game is right in that right-hand zone and he can get behind Alexis, he is tremendous. And he's 17 to 20 goals, whatever he scored, is manifestation of that. But when he's asked to do something else like he was in the, in the, in the last game at home, he, he couldn't do it. He couldn't change his game. When he's asked to play left, he can't do it because he goes missing. He can't receive the ball on his back foot, on his left foot. When he's asked to play centre forward, he can't play back to goal. But when he's playing on the right-hand side in that channel, he's tremendous. And we've got to say to ourselves, hold on a minute here. We need more flexible, rounded players, not so many specialists, because we're unable to get the true ceiling of the squad with this amount of one-dimensional players in our team. And again, I don't want to pick... I'm picking on different people. I don't want to pick on... We all know them. We all know who they are. At least if they're one-dimensional, at least you think you could set up a system to take advantage of their one dimension but the team is so poorly drilled and has so little footballing tact so little tactical philosophy that these one-dimensional players are asked to do everything on their own yeah they are but i think what we're what we're missing is i think he's missed a couple of dimensions if you look at all our center midfield options they all got their different skills you know you've got Shaka, who's, who's a lovely deep playmaker. You've got Ramsey, who's a box-to-box player. You've got Elneny, who's a little bit of both. Um, you've got Cockland, who's much more of a, a seek-and-destroy missile. But you know what? None of them are dominant physically. None of them have got change of pace on the retreat. None of them are Seth Fabregas metronomic. None of them have the... The two foot enough for Santi. I, I hate to say it, but can I tell you what I think? None of them have. I don't think any What's of them that? have have elite footballing intellect. I hate. I mean, exactly. I hate to get into brains because it's hard to measure. But I look at a squad that what it's missing is high football IQ players in critical positions like central midfield. I mean, Shaka seems to lack that maturity and that intellectualism. To I mean, Cesc Fabregas. Say what you want about him. There are a few players as intelligent about football on the pitch than him. And you see it in the way he's look, constantly turning his shoulders, looking around, understanding his position. Santi Cazorla is an incredibly intelligent player in addition to being an incredible technical player. I mean, is it possible that what we're missing, obvi- other than the obvious sort of physicality, is just a, a footballing intellect in the center of the pitch to understand where to be and how to approach the yeah. game in different game states? To understand the rhythm of the game, where to be at a certain time, what the game is telling you what to do, what's happening around you, what are your teammates telling you? Can you read the stress of your teammates? Where are they? Who's going to pull the people inside? Who's going to have three? If you lose the ball once, they call it debit and credit. If you lose it a few times, you go into debit. Who's going to get us back into credit? Who's going to make the three, four passes going to get us out of this press? There is there is none of that sort of intelligence. There's none of that game management. There's none of that at the, what I call the top level. You know, let's just talk about this. When we when we're playing some, it's our top level record that's being questioned. We didn't say this after City because we did a lot of these things really really well. We didn't do it against Spurs, and we got to ask ourselves why. Were we intimidated out of this game? Were we intimidated? Did we have the right mentality? Where was the Gabriel? that destroyed Sane, where was he when Harry Kane came on his right foot? 
He wasn't set right. He was sitting on his heels. He dangled his leg. Where was the aggression? He was also totally isolated because the ball had been given away cheaply and Ox wasn't there and Ozil wasn't there. And I mean, you know, part of making players look good is supporting them so that they're not making crisis interventions, right? I, I think I said this in a previous pod, Clive, which is that all of these players look better when the team shape supports them being put in winnable positions, right? If you yeah. constantly put defenders in space against talented attackers, they're eventually going to make mistakes. And we put our defenders too often in one-on-one and open-pitch environments against talented players. You know, and by the way, mentioning yeah. Harry Kane, that's an example of a guy that has what Giroud doesn't, which is he is not fast, but he understands movement. And my principal complaint with Giroud would be, for a guy who is not fast, your movement has to be elite, and he has neither. <laughs> Not yeah, to bring I mean, it back to Giroud, but you know, why not? No, yeah, and Harry Kane did something very simple in the first minute of that game. He got the ball on the left-hand side of the area. He had a little shake and bake, pushed it out of it onto his left foot, and just took a shot through the legs of the defender and check out to save it. Yep. And the message was sent, I'm here to play. If you give me a yard of space, I'm not passing. I'm hitting it on my laces, on target. And he did that all day. It was nothing special. It was consistency of performance and execution. And it, sometimes it hits the heel. Sometimes it goes through the legs. The keeper doesn't see it. But he has got a game that's clear. Clarity of game. And he reminds me of Alan Shearer, the way he plays. Very, very simplistic. But he doesn't do anything flash. But he produces. And we have Giroud that's not consistent in the wrong part of the pitch, doesn't know where to stand in the box, doesn't know how to use his right foot. He's a specialist on one-touch finishes on his left foot in the box and in the air. That's what he can do. He can't run the channels. And so we have a player that can't be used in all situations. And when it doesn't, when it's not his game, we all crucify him. When really, the issue is, is about the recruitment and how long we persevere with these players. We've known this for years. We persevere too long. Yeah, of course. And Tim, I think the the end result is that we saw who was the better team on the day. But were you surprised at just how bad this... I mean, all things considered. I know we've been poor. I know there were a lot of false dawns with this three at the back. I mean, the Borough performance was poor. The Leicester performance was poor. The first half of the city was poor. But admittedly, as they tired, you know, there were some some good moments that came from that. Um but overall, I mean, were you surprised by just how thoroughly outplayed we were on the day? I was actually, yeah, I have to say I was. I mean, on, on reflection, I think it's a fairly decent reflection on the difference between the two teams. I mean, we've got five games left to play and we can't catch them. 17 points, that's, that's enormous. That is a chasm between the two teams. And I think that showed up on the day. But I have to say, I went into the game, I thought, I predicted a draw. I thought it was going to be quite a tight game um, that would be perhaps decided on small details. But it wasn't really. I mean, Tottenham dominated it as emphatically as any league game I've seen between these teams in quite a long time now. Um, probably since, you know, Arsenal's Invincible era. Um, it was it, it was completely emphatic, and uh, I really thought we'd put up a better show than that because for all our problems, I still think we have a lot of individual quality. And with you know a couple of wins behind us, I thought, well, 
maybe a, enough of the belief will be there to play something close to a top level game to at least you know really engage Tottenham and really give them something to think about um, but yeah we, we didn't really and, and I think a lot of that you know in the first you know 20 or 30 minutes I think we competed well enough it's just we we didn't we didn't pick the right team to hurt them defensively and the longer that went on the more it became a diseconomies of scale you know Tottenham grew into the game when they realized that you know they, they didn't have to worry about what was happening to the back door um, so they got on the front foot and they concentrated on on wearing us down and getting the goal and and then they got two in a minute and and that was that really it was yeah. it, it kind of it felt a bit like what I used to watch a team like Man United do in the 90s um, to teams in home games like a hundred times where you know the, te- the the away team sets up and at first they compete a, a bit okay but then the second half comes and they just turn on that little bit of quality two quick goals and that's it that's the end of the game that's kind of what it looked like it looked like you know we were the plucky little side that was setting up to you know to try and perhaps sneak a draw and um, you know lump it up to the big man and hope he can hold it up for long enough to take the pressure off ourselves I mean it, it looked like really inferior football and I mean that in both senses of the word inferior we were conceding our inferiority and we played like we were inferior yeah and um, and so I mean I, I was surprised just because I didn't think this game would necessarily pan out that way but um, I'm not surprised in terms of oh wow I didn't know Spurs were capable of that or that Arsenal were capable of that I mean Spurs have been brilliant at home all season we've been rubbish away so it's it's not a fantastic leap of logic I just happen to think that this game would go slightly differently and that maybe Arsenal would start to put not quite a run together but I thought the season might end just about okay enough um, to perhaps to veer away from terrible and perhaps go into you know average quite good but no we, we've kind of we've done it again we've just like lurched straight back into in, into pretty not even mediocre really um so uh, yeah I, I was surprised and i wasn't surprised 19th in the league in shots on target conceded in the last 20 games. No wins away yeah. to the top six in two plus years. Um, the, the, I, I, left, I left this one early as well. You are I've a beat the traffic games. guy. I've always said that about you. <laughs> I've, I've left more games early in the last um, two months than I had in my whole life combined. Um, and I, I make it, I think, so I left Bayern, West Brom, Palace and Spurs, including injury time, probably like five minutes apiece. I haven't missed a single attempt on goal from Arsenal in doing that. So I've taken the right choice, unfortunately. But, you know, when you're watching a game and you can just you read You can leave it at halftime and, and that might have been the same, by the way. <laughs> I mean, we're yeah, not... yeah. Even like in years gone by when we've been pretty abject in a single game and we're 2-0 down on 89 minutes, there's always been a part of me that thinks, yeah, but we're attacking. We're not necessarily doing it very well. But if we score now, I bet we can make stoppage time interesting. Um, but I haven't had that feeling at all in, in any of these games. Um, I've just thought, yeah, we're not even going to have a shot on goal. So 
Um, if anything, we're quite likely to concede again. And you know, what's what's uh, you know what's I've, what's the I've point? Never, yeah, I get it. Yeah, I've never felt like that before um, because I've never seen this before. I think the problem is maybe the, maybe the opposite is true. Maybe the reason is you've seen this enough before now you know what i mean you see what i'm driving at right you yeah, yeah. we're now into the realm of i i know what i'm gonna see if i stay and it's nothing i need to see like <laughs> he's he's not pulling any rabbits out of hats anymore um clive let, let's wrap up with this if you switch the managers would the teams be in different positions uh, i think they would be I, I really do i think um there's a there's a freshness about Spurs. There's a newness about them. There's a sense but, but of could renewal. could this Arsenal squad be this far ahead of that Spurs squad if we switch the managers? No, I don't think so. I, I think. So you think we've, um, you think the the squad is as much a problem as the coaching? Let let let, let, me, let me dial back there, right? Because um, I was there in a three 0 Chelsea game, and I was sitting there feeling pretty comfortable by what I was looking at. I was looking at. Alexis at centre forward. Iwobi was in a purple patch. So were Phil Walcott. Ozil running the channels. We had a centre forward that wasn't really a centre forward. It was running the game. And we were scoring goals at will. At that at that day, I was not thinking our squad lacked talent. I was not thinking about Spurs. I was thinking, has Wenger finally cracked it? But what's, what's happened is we've, we've, we've got in on ourselves and... Over a season, you need to have a style of play that's re- that's more repeatable, and um, we we haven't got that. And the major is, is not clear on what he wants to do, and so there's a clarity about Pochettino and his approach. Whether you agree with it or not, we can all see it. There's a clarity, and there is no clarity about what Wenger's trying to do. And we are students of 20 years of watching him, and we don't know what he's going to do next. None of us saw that team selection to that level coming. There could be reasons behind it, as you alluded to earlier, that we that we're not aware of. But I, I, I'm I'm really one one of the things that really hurt me. I remember when Asi Cole left Arsenal, and when he left Arsenal, I felt he chose to go to one of our rivals, and it really bothered me because one of the things about that I that one of the measures that I use is I want Arsenal to be the place where people want to be. I want Arsenal to be the employer of children. Yeah, I would agree with that. Oh, there you go. Coming up right now, I'd like to think he, I'd I'd like to think he chooses Arsenal over Spurs. Right now, exactly. There's no one. I'm just reading the back page of the paper that Victor um, Virgil Van Dijk, sorry, is going to go to Chelsea. We all knew that's going to happen. He's not going to come to Arsenal. Why is he going to come to Arsenal? There's no. There's no strategy, there's no stability, there's no forward plan, there's no project. We don't know who's going to be the manager, we don't know, we're not sure about our structure, we're not sure about our board. We are not the employer of choice, and that's the measure that hurts me more than any other. We will lose games, but I want to feel that the club is progressing and we are a place that people want to be, and right now, that's not the case. Yeah, I mean, look, the bright side is, we have tons of money, a gorgeous stadium, and we play in London. Like, this isn't irretrievable. We don't have to go through a decade of being yeah. out of the top four, of being out of the relevant conversation. We don't have to go through, you know, people say, oh, look at Liverpool. They were adrift for so long. Liverpool don't have the money we have. They, I mean, Anfield has a lot of history, but they don't have the match day revenues we have. They play, 
you know, in a city that whatever you think of Liverpool is not London, um, they they are not in as ad- advantaged a position as we are. But I think right now you have a real question of whether this manager's message is getting through. And we don't know what players say to one another. I mean, there may be a lot of stuff leaking out of Arsenal from players saying, you, you don't want to be here right now. Uh, who knows? Ultimately, though, I don't care what players we bring in. I am at the point where I find it impossible to believe that this manager, whom I love, has it in him to produce a system, a philosophy, an approach to football and to building a squad and putting that squad out on match day that can make us a relevant title contender. Um, Tim, do you think that is a fair conclusion? Uh, yes. Okay, cool. Um, let's look. Let, let's leave it there. I mean, the, the scary part now is the league season kind of becomes just a march to the FA Cup final, right? I mean, it's great that we have the Cup final in the distance, and it could give us an incredible final day. Um, but the, the the sad and scary part is it's hard to see how the players will take the rest of the league games all that seriously. And there are some big ones coming up. I mean, we still have United coming to the Emirates. Um, I think the manager is going to have to do something to try to find a working solution between now and Chelsea at Wembley, or that could wind up going from a great, exciting day to a, a really powerful, painful, embarrassing coda on what has been a tough season. Um, I think we can leave it there. Tim is on Twitter. at Stilberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always so to speak, yeah. And uh, Clive is on Twitter at, at Clive PAFC. Clive, thank you. Hey, mate. Thanks for having me. It is entirely possible that this derby killed Paul. So, you know, rip, Paul. Really want to run to you. Can't believe this. Uh, anyway, uh, I am on Twitter at Yankee Gunner, where you should, uh, can and should block me. Um, and, uh, of course, give us five-star review and write nasty stuff about us in the comments. It is a dark time dark cloud hanging over the club and yet and still and for all of the talk and i get that the fa cup isn't enough and it's not what we're going for it is still entirely possible if not even likely that we will finish with a trophy and spurs will not so you know still not so horrible anyway uh on that upbeat note uh thank you guys for listening and we will come to you after whatever is the next meaningless game in arsenal season cheers Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.